minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfect. Oh, mercy. Five, four, three, two, one. From our respective abodes, it is the Masson All Access Podcast, brought to you by Marymount University. Visit MarymountSaints.com to learn more about our student-athletes and programs today. Paul Mancano here with you on the Masson All Access Podcast, and of course, Bobby Blanco joining us here. Bobby, thanks so much for hopping on. You are a sea of orange today. I am, yeah. I've added some new uh, Orioles decor to my background. Kept nice. the uh, Birdland towel Kept the Oriole bird above my right shoulder, but I don't know if people can see when I go full screen, but added my Orioles hat over my left. And I'm drinking my iced coffee today out of my Oztoberfest mug hey, um, right. that I forgot that I had stored here somewhere. So it's uh, it's a o- complete O's fest here in my uh, my basement, my parents' basement. Yeah, that's uh, when. what year did you get that Oztoberfest mug there, Bobby? Yeah, that's a good question. I feel like they gave this out two years ago. Okay. I think it was like the first Oktoberfest that they had. I know they had one last year. I want to say it was 2018 that they gave these out. They had, it might have been a little. They had last year. Um, I, I went to the one last year, and uh, my girlfriend brought a couple friends, and they dressed up in the full Lederhosen. Uh, yep. It was it was a sight. And then I, I we heard some German music being played, and we thought there's no way that that's a real band. It was a real actual band in full Lederhosen. I don't know what they call those bands. Lederhosen bands. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> you know, you know, the other husband bands. Um, uh, and I'm also trying to do this bit. I don't know if you've noticed, but uh, of where I'm trying to wear an old school Orioles giveaway T-shirt for every episode or something because I have them all stored here at my parents' house. Yeah. Um, so this one is black, orange, and on the back it says "and gold." <laughs> I believe it's from when they celebrated Nick Markakis and Matt Weeders winning gold gloves. Back in, ooh, this might have been 2011, so they gave us out in 2012. Wow. That's uh, it's a miracle it still fits there, Bob. Yeah. Well, actually, it's, <laughs> it, it, it might have, yeah. Yeah, it had to been that year. That was the only year they were both on the Orioles and both won gold gloves. So, I mean, it's an actual, I mean, that's a good thing about the giveaways is that they always, well, back then, back then being eight years ago, they get, oh, the only size they gave out was extra larges. So, Gotcha. That's why I kept them all. It's like they'll fit eventually, or I'll just wear them as, you know, workout shirts or undershirts for like jerseys or something like that. So yeah, a, yeah, a couple they come years, in handy. A couple years ago, they like switched the fabric. This is like the ultimate minutia stuff that only we notice. But they switched the fabric on the shirts, and they when so they, much softer. Oh my gosh, they are uh, baby faced soft. They are yeah. just perfect. So I wear them. I mean, they're they're great workout shirts. They're great sleeping shirts. Uh, yeah, they're perfect just for a hot summer day at the ballpark. This is true. Shirts, you know, that's why they because like wearing this. I mean, this is a heavy cotton T-shirt <laughs> yeah. sitting in the hot sun all day watching a game would be kind of brutal in this thing. But the new shirts, they're super nice. My girlfriend is in the other room working. She's got that zip up old school orange Orioles hoodie that they gave out a year uh, okay. or two ago. Okay. And that's really light, too. That's super comfortable. Nice. So, um, yeah. I like the fabric change that they've give that they've gone with in the new uh, giveaways over the past couple of years. So we're gonna have a, a fun little podcast today. Later on, we're gonna play an interview I did with uh, Kyle Moore, who is now the Frederick Keys manager back in Sarasota in February. 
And we're also going to be continuing our 20 in 20 series. We've got Austin Hayes and Dean Kramer on the docket today for our 20 in 20 series. But first, Bobby, tomorrow is the NFL draft, the first round at least. And I have never been invested in anything more in the sports world than I am in this NFL draft because there yeah. is literally nothing else going on. Um, personally, I'm a little bit worried about the, the technical hiccups that are going to did you hear the report that uh, the Bengals, they did a, a practice round, basically, and the Bengals, who have the first overall pick, tried to send in their pick, and there was a two-and-a-half-minute glitch, and they, oh, could not, they could not get Joe Burrow uh, picked in that uh, practice I did round. see that they did do a practice round, practice draft, what was it, Monday, for all with all 32 teams, yeah. and the reports came out, said it was a disaster. No one was – well, but – because to me, it just sounds like it's just a bunch of old dudes on conference calls and no one's hitting mute. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, mute your phones, please. In this day and age, especially now when all we can communicate is via conference call, please know how to mute your phone. Oh, my God. Just people talking yeah. over each other. And, and I'm curious. Go ahead. Just the little noises that you hear. I don't want to hear this stuff. Yeah. Like people yeah. coughing, people having conversations with their spouses, like – yeah. Just and I, I'm like ultra, ultra careful about this stuff because I'm always worried. I assume when it's on mute on my phone that it's not on mute. I'm still really careful because what is, you know, technology messes up all the time. If you say something and it's it gets broadcast to the world that you can't take that back. Yeah, yeah. I always what I always do a test whenever I hit mute. I go, hello, hello. Can you guys hear me? And then if no, really? like the conversation, yeah, oh yeah. yeah. If the conversation doesn't stop, then I know that they can't hear me. So then I'll progress to do whatever I was going to do smart. while I was on mute. You, you, what um, you should do is do, uh, hello, hello, can you guys hear me? And then wait, and then you all suck. And then, you know, just yeah. to make sure that they're not listening. And then peace. <laughs> no, I only do that with conference calls with you, Paul. Yeah, no, that's fair. That's fair. Um, but I'm nervous for the NFL draft. Like, the NFL draft is, you know, one of the bigger drafts in, in the world, in, the, in our country for sure. And a big part of that draft is the ability to trade picks yeah. and move down and stuff like that. And this is especially relevant to my team, the Redskins, with the number two overall pick uh, in tomorrow's draft. But, like, how – I mean, I guess texting is used. But, like, in, in a normal draft scenario, you know, yeah. all of the scouts, all of the GMs and everybody is in a, a war room – and they have their own hard lines to call other teams to discuss trades. How is that going to work if everyone's on a universal conference call? Yeah, no, exactly. And if what if the GM wants to ask the assistant GM about the trade? You know, that takes and you forget 30 to hit more mute. seconds. <laughs> Yo, yeah, that too. Um, yeah. And so you're just discussing a wide-open trade to the rest yeah. of the league because everyone knows what you're trying to do. I don't know. I'm The WNBA pulled it off last week. I know it's a much smaller scale of a draft. Yeah. But they pulled it off seemingly without a glitch. Uh, hopefully the NFL figures it out before tomorrow and, and it's, it's, it goes smoothly. What I, what I think they should have done, I mean, I think they could have done this a lot of different ways, and we'll see what they, I don't know what the broadcast is going to look like. Um, right. But what I think they maybe should have done is just like added five more minutes to each pick. And I know that's going to make the draft like go to 1 a.m., but they could have like moved up the draft, say it's going to be at 6.30 or 7 or whatever, get, just to make sure everybody's pick is the actual pick that they want to make. And that, yeah. you know, if it's not, you don't have some kind of technical glitch. But it could be, look, this could all be a preview for the MLB draft. Um, obviously, there are barely any trades in the MLB draft. Um, I don't think they're allowed to. Yeah. Uh, and it pretty much, I mean, once you get into the later rounds, it's like 
you know, you can hear they have the full conference calls after like the first round available on MLB.com. And it's like, all right, Baltimore Orioles, you have the 102nd pick. All right, we pick outfielder, blah, blah, blah. All right, 130. Like they just literally go down the board. They don't have a clock. They just pick guys um, as if it were a simulated draft in fantasy. Um, right. So, but it could be a, a kind of a preview, and and we heard last week Michael Elias said uh, he's going to be learning a lot from from the NFL, and they're kind of going to be a testing ground for MLB. In terms of, it's weird because now, you know, you almost forget this is what April twenty second. Now the dr- MLB mm-hmm. draft would be in a month and a half. I mean, yeah. and this is really like crunch time when teams are supposed to be. Uh, deciding when they're going to be making picks or who they're going to be picking. And you haven't heard word one about it because we don't know when the draft is going to be. That's the crazy thing. I, I can't imagine how Michael Ice is making up his daily schedule and how much he's devoting to the draft every day, not knowing is the draft going to be on June 10th or August 15th. Right. Yeah. And, and, and it's also to me, it's it's interesting to think about like that. You know, Michael Elias and Sigmeidel and the Orioles front office and baseball executives across the sport are going to be as tuned into the NFL draft as we are yeah. because they're going to be looking to see how it works and thinking about how it's going to apply to their draft whenever that happens. But also it's like, you know, they work in sports. They're sports fans, too. This is going to be the first, like, lot, quote-unquote, live sporting event we've seen since quarantine, basically. So, like... Part of them is going to be like, hey, this is something for us to watch and like entertain ourselves with. But also, we need to figure out how or see how they go about doing it because we're going to need to be doing this in a month's time and two months' yeah. time. Whenever the draft occurs, we're probably going to be doing the same kind of situation. MLB, like we've always said, is a little different of a format of a draft. But you know, the first round is going to be pretty important in terms of how Major League Baseball, as an organization, broadcasts it. Uh, pr- promotes it and get, uses it as content for not only you know player uh, teams adding players to their systems, but also fans to engage and, and have something to watch and you yeah. know interact with. And I mean, from I would not want to be ESPN in terms of figuring out how this thing is going to look because I I just can't imagine because you would want to get I guess they're going to go to a, the commissioner in his home making the pick you know ma- making yeah. the actual selection and then they're going to try to get the guy who's picked on the phone while also having commentators from their respective homes. It, I, I just can't imagine. I, I I'm imagining a logistical nightmare. I, I can't imagine it's going to look great. I don't think anybody's expecting it to. I think they're just expecting something to keep them entertained. Yeah. I, I, I'm not too concerned about how it looks. I'm just more concerned. I'm just want to make sure it's done right. Like yeah. I don't, as long as there's no mix-ups, you know, what if a team, there's a miscommunication and, you know, the commissioner announces a pick that the team, you know, actually, actually picks someone else. Like that's not who they picked. They yeah, picked, yeah. or they want, or they wanted to trade. I just want to make sure there's, there's a clean line of communication. I don't care how aesthetically pleasing it looks, as long as it's correct and and, and the teams feel like they are doing what they would have be normally doing had it been a, a, a regular draft, uh, like if if we were in Las Vegas. Yeah. I also kind of wish that. You know, uh, Paul, remember the old days of the NFL draft when it would be on the weekend and it would take up all day on a Saturday and Sunday. And like that was like a spring Saturday, uh, a a spring day in April, Saturday. And you would just sit down and you would watch the draft all day. I remember that as fond memories for me, like watching the draft all day with my dad and figuring out when like when the Redskins would pick where my family is also Raiders fan. So when the Raiders would pick stuff like that, 
I kind of wish that they maybe would have, I don't know, legit, again, logistically, smarter people are making this decision than me. But like, it would have been cool if they pushed back the draft to like Saturday and Sunday and made it an all-day thing. Yeah. Logistically, that might have been a nightmare too. But that's, I feel like they could have capitalized on a weekend where people are mostly sitting at home working, watching TV because they have to work from home during the day, during the week. You know, there might be more inclined to watch TV during the weekend. That's I feel like it's a market that's not being touched during this quarantine because people probably are trying to go outside and get away from their TV on the weekends. This could have been like, hey, stay inside, watch a draft all day long yeah. on Saturday and Sunday. Well, somebody even suggested that they really stretch it out because what they usually do, I think, is first night is obviously the first round. Second night, I think they lump in rounds two and three. And then the third day, they just go four, five, six, seven. Right. What what? somebody suggested is that they take a day per round um the only thing oh, yeah. i i mean i just don't know if the seventh round is going to be all that interesting to watch but right. i mean i i think if they had first day first round second day third round or so you know at one two three four at least heck yeah i would watch that what the what else am i doing <laughs> literally what right. else am i doing um, but anyway, it'll, it'll be something to watch. A little bit of draft trivia for you, Bobby. I was going to do a whole draft trivia segment with baseball, and then I was like, it's not that interesting. So I got one little nugget, nugget for you. Uh, okay. Which happened first chronologically, the implementation of the designated hitter in the American League or the first year that the draft was on ESPN? I'm going to guess the draft. Incorrect. So the DH was used before the draft was on TV. Yeah, so the DH was back in 1973. The draft wasn't on TV until 1980, and it was broadcast on ESPN at 8 a.m. on a Tuesday morning. What? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, we could do that now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of crazy to think that we should be doing that now. Like, what if it was at 8 a.m. tomorrow? Like, everyone would be getting up. Well, I mean, West Coast people, <laughs> that'd be 5 a.m. for them. But everyone would be getting up <laughs> To watch, like, the 8 o'clock news in the morning, it'd be the 8 o'clock NFL draft. Yeah, exactly. Um, this is... That's hilarious. Yeah. Anyway, all right. Um, we got uh, some 20 and 20s to get to here, Bobby. We got two uh, players who are higher up in the organization than guys that we've been talking about recently. We spent a lot of time last week talking about D.L. Hall, Grayson Rodriguez, uh, Adley Rutschman. Those kind of guys are much lower on the totem pole and much further away from the bigs. Today, we have a guy who has already made his major league debut, but is still technically a prospect, has not fulfilled his rookie requirement. And that is Austin Hayes, who, look, I think the guy was so important for Orioles fans to see. I've said it before because he kind of, Adley Rutschman is a face of this rebuild, but now they get to see somebody that actually might be on the team when they are competitive again in the major leagues. They don't have to go searching online or go down to Bowie or go down to Norfolk or go to somewhere else to see highlights of a guy that you could see on a, the next Baltimore playoff team. And Austin Hayes is that guy. He still has a ridiculously high ceiling and he was awesome in his 21 games in Baltimore. Yeah. You mentioned that he's still technically a prospect because he hasn't fulfilled his rookie uh, status yet and I think people forget that he actually made his debut back in 2017 played yeah. about 20 games with the Orioles late in that season uh, of course that was the season that this whole thing kind of started coming together in terms of all right this team might have to rebuild they thought they would be competitive uh, they were technically in it until about August or so I mean that's the year that they traded for Tim Beckham and Tim Beckham came on and had a strong First month with the with the club, but then kind of fell apart. And then Austin Hayes got the call up uh, and made his debut. 
but yeah, I think you're right. In terms of being the face of the franchise, in terms of this rebuild, uh, I think you aside. I think you think of Adley Rutschman as the future, the guy, obviously the number one overall draft pick from last year, the guy who's going to be the face of this team moving forward. But the current face, you think of Trey Mancini, you think of John Means, and then right after them, in terms of people, players who are going to be around for a long time and contribute down the road, I think I have to put Austin Hayes right there because he played significant time at, near the end of the last season. I think only 20 games again. Um, but he, you know, he, he showed up and he, he played well and he brought this energy to the team that I feel like maybe some fans thought that had been missing for a couple of years. Uh, you know, not to take anything away from the Adam Jones years because, you know, Adam Jones brought energy every single game. But it's just that youthful energy, that enthusiasm, the electricity that he brings, uh, obviously the highlight real catches that he makes. I, I think that's something that the fans can rally around and this team can build around. And and the, with, when you think about the future of the team, uh, like you said, when they return to being competitive and contenders and, and making playoff runs, I think you have to put Austin Hayes in that picture as someone who is going to be there leading this team, hopefully along with Trey Mancini and John Means as well, and then some of the other prospects that we've touched on that are right on the fringe of breaking it into the major league system or the major league club, I should say. Uh, and Austin Ace has to be right there in that conversation. Yeah, especially because how many guys last year did we see, uh, you know, really shine on the in the major league roster? I mean, you know, Trey Mancini was an awesome story, but there was always kind of, you know, there wasn't much else beyond him of in terms, and, and John Means was great as well, but... Even them, even though they're 27 and 26 and 25, there's still some question about, are they going to be on this team when they are good again? Um, And Austin Hayes, he's 24 years old. Um, His stats in those 21 games in Baltimore were pretty phenomenal. 309 average, four homers, 13 RBIs, a 947 OPS. Um, He was also in the 85th percentile in terms of sprint speed, according to StatCast. So he clearly has the speed to play center field in addition to making those outstanding uh, catches we saw him make in center field. Right now he's the number five Orioles prospect uh, in the system, which kind of speaks to how much deeper the system is at this point. Uh, you might remember back, he was a third-round pick back in 2016. And he, as you mentioned, Bobby, when he made his major league debut in 2017, was the first player from the 2016 draft to make his major league debut. He had that meteoric rise and honestly he was brought up a little bit early I think in part because that team was at that point way down in the tubes they needed something anything to grab hold of in terms of you know exciting the fans in September they didn't have many prospects to bring up it was him and Chance Cisco that they brought up Cisco did not have quite as much success but Hayes had a pretty good end of that season the only thing with with Hayes is the injuries over the past two years. Uh, they've kept him to 75 games in 2018 and just 87 games total in 2019. He's had shoulder, ankle, thumb, and hamstring injuries. So when he kind of went off the map in 2018, when he was he did not play at all in, in uh, the MLB, is because he did not he wasn't healthy enough and he just could not get back up to his point. And even in 2018, when he was Uh, got back to the field, he wasn't quite as productive. But he flipped a switch in 2019, had a little bit more time on the field, kept the injuries a little bit less. Um, But it's the biggest thing going forward with this guy is injuries. Yeah, and I think that kind of ties into what we just talked about, how, or I mentioned that he's 
all the highlights, you know, that energy that he brings, it comes with a cost. It's he's super aggressive, which is great when he's making diving plays in the outfield and, and getting outs. It's great when he's hitting home runs um, and hitting doubles in the gap. But it's going to cost him and bo- not just both statistically, but physically. Like you said, the injuries that's that you mentioned four significant injuries to one player. And, and that's cost him a, a ton of games throughout his career. It'd be one thing if it was like one like lingering injury that he couldn't shake or kept popping up that could probably be taken care of. But when it's four different things, your your body's taking a beating that limits guys' careers and 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 shortens them. So that's something that he's going to have to maybe try to figure out a, a way to contain it, you know, stay aggressive, but controlled aggression, you know, and be smart about it in terms of when how he runs into the wall in the outfield or dives for a, a blooper uh, in center field. Um, you know, chases a ball outside the zone at the plate. He's just got to be a little smarter about it. I think that will come with uh, more reps. Uh, like you said, he's not played in too many games because of these injuries. Maybe as he gets more games and innings under his belt at the mi- major league club, he'll get some of that, hey, you know, it's fine to let that ball drop in front of you, hold him to a single. You know, you don't have to record every single out that comes your way. Play smart about it. Trust your pitchers. Trust your teammates. And, and we can still win without you making highlight plays. Obviously, we love the highlight plays, but uh, and, and they'll continue to come because he's just that athletic. But I think the smarts are going to have to be something that involves with this player as as we progress throughout his career, so he stays, you know, a viable option for Brandon Hyde for a longer period of time. And in that aggressiveness that you mentioned that he plays the field with. He also has at the plate. He's very aggressive at the plate, and sometimes it comes back to hurt him. Those that three hundred nine average in the major leagues was awesome, but he almost didn't get called up. I think because he wasn't all that productive in the minors in twenty nineteen. And Norfolk played in fifty nine games, hit just two fifty four with ten homers, so he can get burned a little bit. And you know that three hundred nine average. Look, I'm not you know ruling anything out for the guy, but he's probably not going to be a three. 100 hitter at the major leagues. He may be at some point, um, but it's it's difficult to do that when he a- is as aggressive as he is at the plate. And I think a, what we see a lot of times is when you have guys come up, they make their major league debut, in this case, not his major league debut, but his, a, a little bit of extended action in September. And September numbers in general can lie because how often are they going up against true major leaguers as opposed to guys who just got brought up like they did? So some of, sometimes September numbers can lie there. Um, but also, he, players or pitchers now have an opportunity to study him and to look at holes in his swing, look at ways that they can attack him that they had, didn't have film on before. They didn't know exactly how to attack him before. But it's those adjustments that he's going to have to make. Um, and it may turn into him you know, taking more pitches, him being less aggressive at the plate, picking his spots more. Um, but he is going to undoubtedly have an adjustment period. So I expect great things from him. I, I mean, the, the, um, I think his ceiling is definitely an all-star. That's what the, the scouts seem to think, according to MLB Pipeline. They still think he could be uh, an outfielder. But there will be an adjustment period. I don't know how long it'll take. Um, but, I mean, the, the guy is, is thoroughly exciting um, uh, and could be a piece of this rebuild long-term. Yeah, you mentioned his aggressiveness at the plate. I mean, people love homers and chicks take the long ball and everything like that. But, like, he expands his zone too much. That's great if you hit power. I mean, he's got the power, too. He doesn't need to expand his zone as much as he is. That's the thing. Because if he just tightens it up and hits the balls that are there that are given to him, they'll fly because he's strong enough to do that. Uh, 
he needs to walk more. He needs to kind of shorten that up so, and get on base more. He, he doesn't have to rely heavily on that power because it, I think it comes naturally for him. So there's might be opportunity for him to try to you know hit the ball in the gap more and maybe double more. He doesn't have to be a home run every single time. Maybe that the home runs drop. I think the 300 average is a bit of an anomaly. He's not going to be a 300 hitter for his whole career, but maybe that on base percentage goes up a little bit more. And that's how you kind of balance it out as your production as a player with the average dipping and the homers dipping a little bit, but the doubles go up, the walks go up, your on base percentage goes up. You know, I, I watched, um, Moneyball was on TV the other day, and what's the thing that Billy Bean always preaches throughout that game is get on base. If that's something that Austin Hayes can prove that he can do throughout his career, I think the homers will come naturally because he's so physically strong uh, as is. And then, like we said, talk about his aggression, not just at the play, but then back in the field. If he plays smarter, he could have a long career, and I think you're right. He can evolve into an all-star because he does have that highlight real capability, and that's what captures people's eyes in today's game. And he'll make some some stunning plays, some jaw-dropping plays in the outfield and maybe hit some long homers to go yeah. with it. And, you know, I would have been excited to see him this year. He would have been maybe the most um, excited I would have been to see any player uh, in the in terms of the major league roster because he was going to be your opening day center fielder and he was probably going to be your opening day leadoff hitter. Um, but that further, you know, says that uh, he probably should be drawing more walks and that's something that he would have to learn and I was excited to see him do that. So it's a, it's a shame that he's we're an not interesting. He's an interesting case too, because like we said, he's people forget he's technically still a prospect. He's 24 yeah. years old, but we've seen him in the major league, and that's exciting. I think for this team to have a 24 year old prospect that fans are familiar with, exactly. that would make the opening day roster and be your leadoff guy, be your starting center fielder. And Paul, I remember when we saw him in spring training. I mean, the guy is absolutely jacked. He is so big and strong and athletic. That is something that, I mean, he just has a natural ability that very few players have when they're 24 years old. You know, you see a lot of guys get bigger as they get older and, and grow with the game a little more. But he has that unnatural strength already with him and physical and athletic ability that he would have been a very, I mean, not that he he's not going to be because whenever we get back to baseball, he will be. But it's a shame that this season got pushed back because he would have been a, a guy that sold tickets and put butts in seats because people want to see that kind of player yeah. play for their rebuilding team. Exactly. All right, next up, another 24-year-old, this time a pitcher, Dean Kramer. He's a righty. He was, of course, acquired by the Orioles uh, mid-season, two years ago during the, uh, for, in the Manny Machado trade with the Dodgers. He's the Orioles' number nine prospect, according to MLB Pipeline. Another guy that struggled a little bit with injuries, not quite to the extent that Austin Hayes had. He had an oblique injury coming out of O's spring training camp back in 2019. That pushed back his start date in terms of the 2019 season. But when he came back, he got off to an awesome start with the Bowie Bay Sox um, to the point where he got called up midseason to Norfolk. Struggled in Norfolk, but look, literally every pitcher struggled in Norfolk. Yeah. And also it was his first exposure to the AAA level, and he didn't get that many games. So we'll we'll get into the stats, but I think you can kind of not throw it out entirely, but he's definitely going to learn a lot from that experience. And he followed up the 2019 season uh, with a great appearance in the Arizona Fall League. So this is a guy that, uh, you know, I think has the potential. To, clearly the Orioles saw the potential that he could make the, the opening day roster. I think he struggled a little bit in spring training, and that kind of pushed that back a little bit, but... Um, I think if 2020 were on schedule, we would see him sooner rather than later at the major league level. Yeah, you mentioned that timeline that he had in terms of returning and having 
a really good start at Bowie and then getting the call up to Norfolk struggling. To me, it's not so much. And you mentioned like every pitcher struggled at AAA this past season. Uh, it's just the way the ball flew. And you saw offensive numbers go up, pitching numbers go down, uh, or I guess up in the wrong way. But to me, it's not that part of the story. It's how he bounced back. The Arizona Fall League, you mentioned, he, he pitched pretty well in six games, a 2.37 ERA, uh, had a tape 10.9 Ks per nine. That's a strong rebound from kind of a, a, a tough path in AAA ball after having a strong start. That's the kind of mindset you want to see from a pitcher being able to shake things off like that and understands like, hey, you know, it wasn't me. My first time facing these pitchers, the ball flies at this level. It's okay. We can regroup and regather and, and be better um, and bounce back to kind of where he was at Bowie at the Arizona Fall League level. And I think you're right. I think he was carrying that momentum into spring training. Uh, Orioles had hopes that he could probably break camp uh, with the major league team. And if not, he would have been up with the big club uh, sooner rather than later, like you said. So a guy that has a strong future. And, and and you also mentioned, you know, the best pitching prospect they got probably out of the Manny Machado deal, maybe out of all of those trades they made back at that 2018 deadline. And we talked about Yusniel Diaz, uh, obviously, a couple of weeks ago or last week. I think it was last week. Um, and how he is still down at the buoy level. So Yusniel Diaz... I think they fully expect him to make his major league debut in, you know, in the next year or two. But Dean Kramer might make the big league roster before Yusniel Diaz, which I don't think many people expected when that trade went down. In terms of his stats, you mentioned his awesome stats from the Arizona Fall League in six games. He had a 2.37 ERA, almost 11 Ks per nine. At Bowie, the kind of stats that got him promoted up to Norfolk, 15 starts at Bowie, sub-3 ERA, 9.2 Ks per nine. And then at the Norfolk level, that's where he struggled. Four starts, he gave up 19 runs in 19 and a third innings. But all told, he kept take everything, uh, you know, together, and he finished with a nine and six record in 21 starts and a 3.72 ERA and 122 strikeouts. Scouting report in terms of Dean Kramer, the scouts really like his curveball. They gave him a 60 curveball, which is on 20 to 80 scale. Um, and his fastball is not blistering, sits about 20, uh, 92 to 94 miles an hour, but can sniff 95 to 96. And they think that curveball could be a legitimate outpitch. They say ceiling is about a number four starter with long man reliever floor. That's pretty good. I mean, if, if, if at this point, if you can get that kind of guy, we saw how much the Orioles were in desperate need last year in terms of literally anybody who could be on the mound and, and get innings for them. If you can get a guy that has the potential to be a back-end starter out of Dean Kramer, I think that that is very much worth it. Yeah, you mentioned his arsenal with a fastball that touches close to the mid-90s and a curveball that the scouts love that much with a 60 grading on a 20 to 80 scale. It's been a great outpitch for him, and that's a good one-two punch that he has. The scouts really love the way that he's been able to set up hitters using that fastball and then going to the curveball. He's also been able to use his changeup uh, mixing in with that fastball against left-handed hitters. He apparently really likes using that against left-handed hitters um, as a right-handed pitcher, which is interesting to see. Uh, he can go in and out of the zone with it. And he's also developing the slider, too. It's not quite there yet. He still needs to develop some more command with it. But if he gets a slider, that's a four. That's a pretty solid four-pitch mix that he has, especially when his curveball is his best pitch. You kind of think of the likes of... You know, like a Steven Strasburg guy, so guys who can throw high heat but also are really deadly with their off-speed stuff. Uh, if Kramer can develop in that, I would maybe even, I mean, I'm no professional scout, but I would maybe even disagree 
with some of the guy with the scouts who are saying that he's at best a four line starter, probably a long relief man. I would say he could be a solid middle of the rotation guy down the line. If you have four pitches, that's how starters make their bread and butter. You know, they have an arsenal that they work with where you usually see relievers have one or two pitches that they rely heavily on because they don't use them as often as starters do. If he becomes, if he develops that slider, um, improves that changeup. If you go along with that curve and fastball, I could see him being a middle of the rotation, maybe end of the rotation kept guy, but guy that solidifies himself in a starting rotation as opposed to being a long man out of the bullpen. And if that doesn't work out, long man out of the bullpen isn't a bad place to be either. I mean, these are the kind of conversations I wish we could be having with with baseball on and with us gathering more information because there are so many guys. Talked about the Norfolk and Bowie rotations being loaded. Um, there are so many guys that all have this kind of ceiling and floor that are all right in this middle group because I think in terms of the tiers of Orioles pitching prospects I think Grayson Rodriguez and D.L. Hall most would agree are those top two guys that have frontline starter stuff and potential but it's this middle group that's just loaded because you have Dean Kramer you have Michael Bauman uh, you have Keegan Aiken uh, you have uh, Zach Lowther you have Alex Wells I just named what five guys that all have the potential to uh, be middle of rotation guys and you almost get to the point in 2021 where you're trying to fit all these guys in a six-man rotation just to see who can stick um and that's a great problem to have but this is the kind of stuff i wish we could be have some kind of baseball and some kind of uh something to look to you know so that we could see where these guys are going to fall who's going to rise up who could fall uh injuries obviously affect all this stuff but that middle group of pitchers in the orioles farm system is so exciting. Yeah. And then it also that would provide us an opportunity to pick the brains of Brandon Hyde and Michael Eyes and see what are you guys seeing from these guys? How yeah. do you project them and see how their projections kind of differ as the season went along? I mean, it, it is you're right, it is a shame that we can't see them pitch right now um with the shutdown. But uh it, like you said, it's a good problem to have, I'm sure. Michael Elias and Brandon Hyde are kind of foaming at the mouth to see these guys back on the mound as soon as possible to try to sort that out. Uh, for setting up a possible rotation a year or two down the line. Yeah, awesome. All right, well, we have an interview with Kyle Moore that we did back in Sarasota in February. He, of course, is now the Frederick Keys manager after he got the promotion for a 90-win season with the Delmarva Shorebirds. If you don't know, Kyle Moore is one of the best, I think, minds in terms of the Orioles' farm system. Uh, Just He's a young coach. He's very exciting. Uh, He clearly, you know, is very analytically focused. Uh, he already had huge wins, and not just that, his pitching staff showed up and they developed those guys uh, at the minor league level. So an, an exciting promotion for Kyle Moore. Before Bobby and I sign off real quickly, at Bobby underscore Blanco on Twitter for Bobby. I'm at Paul Mancano on Twitter. Be sure to give us a follow, like, subscribe, all that good stuff. And here is Kyle Moore back in Sarasota in February. Here on Mass and All Access from Sarasota, Florida, and now we are joined by Kyle Moore, joining the Frederick Keys. Last time we talked, you were with the Delmarva Shorebirds, so congratulations. Yeah, for sure, thanks. I'm really excited about it. I love Frederick, and uh, uh, great. it's gonna be a great year for us this year, hopefully, and we'll continue to carry over the same things that we, we finished with in Delmarva. And you were a player in Frederick as well. What kind of memories do you have of the town and of the Frederick Keys? Yeah, I mean, I got great memories there. We, we, we had some really good teams when I was fortunate enough to play on them, and, and uh, we won the league one year. But the town, I think, is, is just awesome. I mean, that's, I think it's our best minor league town. It's, it's, it's an actual town of its own. The community supports the team. There's crowds. The field's nice. So 
Uh, just as far as the town goes, my wife and I are both really excited to get back to Frederick. Have you reached out to anybody for any advice in particular on the move up? Not, not anybody in particular. I think I, I definitely want to. There's some people in my, in, you know, in mind who have managed there before that I definitely want to get a feel for. Uh, maybe reach out to them. Not, not yet though. It's all kind of new, and we've just, my wife and I, have just been trying to get to spring training and let's, <laughs> let's get it, let's get it rolling in Florida before we, before we really uh, focus on April just yet. So you have had this opportunity now to be with the Orioles in Sarasota in the Major League camp. What kind of things have you been doing with the major leaguers as the first couple of days of camp have gone by? Yeah, sure. I mean, super excited about this opportunity. This is the first time I've ever been invited to Major League Spring Training, which is, which is, uh, you know, I, I hate to say such a cliche, but a dream come true. I mean, yeah. to be around Major League coaches, Major League players, see how it's done, has been like amazing already. Uh, and the short is just working with catchers. I'm a catching guy. I've been learning a ton from Tim Cousins and all the catchers here. So that's what I've been probably gaining the most from is just working with catchers, hearing how Tim talks to the guys and what is his basis of his foundation, his program are. Um, and then in second, just helping any way I can. If I need to go out and catch balls at first base or helping anybody in any way, uh, it's been pretty awesome to be here. That catching group is a fascinating one here in camp because you've got veterans like Brian Holiday, you've got guys that you've worked with in the past like an Adley Rutschman. Sure. How would you describe this catching group that is pretty deep and varying in major league experience? Yeah, no, I mean, it's an exciting group of guys. You got super young guys, you got a guy like Holiday who has some, some real major league experience, and you got some guys in between who we have high hopes for. So. It's, it's, a, it's a competitive group. It's a, it's a group where we're kind of hoping for some competition to come out of. And uh, it's uh, been awesome for me to see some elite, you know, major league talented receivers catching the ball in the bullpen and their drill work. Um, there's some, some really good receivers back here. And of course, Brandon Hyde was a catcher himself back in the day. Have you had an opportunity to talk with him, kind of pick his brain on how he's running major league camp here? Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I would love to get that opportunity some at some point here. I haven't had that chance to pick his brain yet. Maybe over the golf course or something. One of these days, I can get him, you know, get him aside. But uh, not yet. But um, I, I do know that he was a catcher, and that's awesome. That's just a, just a connection. I think that all catching guys have right off the bat. Uh, so, so definitely something we have in common. In terms of just observing. How would you describe the way that Brandon Hyde runs his camp? We've heard words like professional, upbeat. How would you describe what you've seen so far? Yeah, for sure. I mean, like I said, it's my first major league camp, so I don't, I don't really know other than just being around a bunch of baseball guys. Mm -hmm. uh, I just know Brandon Hyde's intense and, he, and he's really direct in what he wants uh, this camp to be. And he's relayed that message to the staff, which is super clear. Um, so awesome communicator. Um, I, I do think that uh, he's he's not not an like uptight person, which I think you can tell right when you walk in the room. Like he just you kind of there's no guard there. There's nothing that's kind of you know um, uptight at all, mm -hmm. which I think probably filters over to the players because it's just a great environment in general. I think that starts with him, and he certainly creates that and and. Uh, gets that environment going in that direction. And speaking of Brandon Hyde, you look at the first few years of his resume as a manager. He started down in the South Atlantic League with Greensboro, of course was a minor league catcher like yourself as well. Do you look at him as a potential trailblazer and, and somebody that you can uh, learn from the way that he really rose up the, through the ranks and eventually got to that position to be a, a major league manager? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I, I think, um, 
you know, when we hired him, I think everybody in this organization looked him up and where did he come from and how did he get there. Mm -hmm. And when you see a guy who has his background, it's super exciting for a guy like me because we have some things in common. And uh, which is another reason why I would love to sit down with him and just, just ask him, you know, what makes Brandon Brandon. And, <laughs> and he's, he's had a, an, an incredible amount of success. He's held some incredible jobs and, uh, and now he's a major league manager. So that's really cool for me to see, see his progression, how he's gotten here. Slightly off topic, but I want to get your thoughts on this because what's great is you are active on social media, which yeah. is uh, awesome. I think rare for some managers especially, but after the hashtag girl dad was going around and that uh, movement following Kobe Bryant's passing, what was your connection to that and uh, what kind of message did you want to send with the tweets that you sent? Yeah, for sure. My, my wife helps me out a lot with that. I try to I try to be good on social media. Sometimes I get a little bit of a lull. That was a sensitive <laughs> subject because I'm not a huge basketball fan mm -hmm. and or Kobe fan, so to speak. But when something that tragic happens, I think I think we all kind of woke up and went like, "Wait, what? Like that? That did, did that really happen?" Yeah. And then when you kind of when we kind of dug into it, my wife and I, and, and he had a thing called Girl Dad. Uh, every baseball guy, or every sports guy for that matter, hopes to have like a son one day, you know? Like you want a son, play ball, throw ball, play catch. Yeah. Uh, but honestly, with my wife and I's journey, uh, being a girl dad has just been the most tremendous thing ever that I could have never imagined or foreseen. So like when you see Kobe, he was a girl dad. So like, um, not that I have any connection with him, but when I see him and his previous posts about that, uh, it really struck me emotionally. It really got me. It hit me like it was just it was just a story on the TV until I saw hashtag girl dad and then it hit me it hit me you know, it hit home. And of course you have a young daughter at home. You guys are preparing for this move to Frederick. Are you excited about bring the family along on this journey as well? Su super excited. They, they go everywhere with me. I'm super fortunate to have that. I got a little little girl named Madeline. She's a year and a half. My wife goes with me and we also have a dog named Malu. So <laughs> I got three girls. I'm the only guy in the house and uh, it's, it's beautiful. Wouldn't have it any other way and we, we can't wait to get to Frederick. Uh, hopefully we'll bring a little bit of warm weather with us in April though. And I'm sure Frederick fans will hope you bring the wins too. You got uh, yeah. 90 wins record yeah. setting in Delmarva last year. Are you excited to get your hands on the Frederick Keys and the players that are young, exciting players are going to be coming through there? For sure. I think we're going to have a, a really nice roster and uh, we never really talked about winning games last year. I think that it's still a low enough level to where we're still super focused on how we play, how we show up, how we be a professional. So we're going to continue to focus on that. and. You know what? We, we should win some games, but we're not really going to address it. You know, we'll, we'll hope that we'll do the right thing, and the right results will show up. Awesome, and I'm sure the fans will show up as well to support the Frederick Keys. Hope so. Come on out and shake your keys. <laughs> Absolutely, Kyle Moore, new manager of the Frederick Keys, joining us here on Masson All Access.